light in you so that the churches can see it. This is God's word. Good morning, everybody. My name is Hao Ran, if we haven't met. Uh, it's one of my privileges to be uh, one of the leaders of this church and to be able to preach God's word to you today. And we have, we have two very interesting and very challenging passages before us today. Um, you, may, you may or may not be aware we're in the middle of a short sermon series about money. And um, we are yeah, asking hard questions. So how do you feel... How do you feel when somebody asks you for money? At some point in your life, you may have received an email that goes a little bit like this. Dear Sir, I am Prince Bakari John Tunde from Nigeria. Your help would be very appreciated. I want to transfer all of my fortune outside of Nigeria due to frozen accounts. If you could be so kind and transfer a small amount of 3,500 USD to my account, I would be able to unfreeze my account and transfer my money outside of Nigeria. And to repay your kindness, I will send you one million US dollars to your account. Please contact me to proceed. It may not surprise you to know that this email is a hoax. Uh, this is an example of what is called the Nigerian Prince scams. Scams like this have been running since at, the, since at least 2009. And in fact, it's so famous that in fact there have been security researchers who have looked into this. Over the course of a decade, from 2009 to 2019, this scam alone has stolen an estimated $2.5 billion. In my day job, I help oversee cybersecurity at our company, and we teach our staff to be really careful about internet scams. Right? Uh, catfishing, crank phone calls, requests from the CEO to buy him Amazon gift cards, emails like this. And uh, we teach our staff to be really, really careful. Right? Paranoid even about people asking for money. In the era that we live in, it's natural to be deeply suspicious when somebody asks you for money. Right? I certainly am. Maybe you feel similar. Whether it's the email in my inbox that looks like this, whether it's the next app that asks you to pay and subscribe, whether it's somebody in real life with a clipboard and a lanyard representing a charity as I walk down the street. Even the homeless person sitting on the side of the road who clearly does need the money, the world has trained me to be a little bit suspicious. Are they going to use the money for, on food and shelter or are they going to buy drugs and alcohol with it? Money is complicated. And that's even before the news reminds us that we live in a cost of living crisis. You know this, right? You've experienced this. A whole bunch of things cost more this year than they did last year. I get it. I understand. I, too, pay more for bread and milk and electricity, just like you. My mortgage repayments have gone up a ridiculous amount, just like yours. And so it may well be when you hear people talking about money, asking for money, you too have a suspicious, cynical heart. You too have calluses because you've spent so long saying no to people who, and trying to decide whether people really do need the money, and, it, and it's, you've got calluses on your heart. And let's be upfront, the Bible passage today is going to talk about money. It's going to challenge us as 21st century Christians as it talks about how we really need to be more generous. And what that means is our cynical 21st century hearts are going to be poked and they're going to be prodded and they're going to be challenged and maybe even corrected by God's word. And I know how I feel when the Bible teaches me about money. Right? I want to find excuses in my heart, let's be honest. I want to 
try to find some sort of excuse. Like, this is a first century problem, and I live in the 21st century, right? Does Paul really understand mortgages and credit card debt and inflation and compulsory superannuation? And, or maybe, my whole heart also wants to do this. When we talk about this after church or in small groups, I'm going to go, yeah, 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 I kind of agree with it in principle. But when I go home and look at my bank balance, I'm not really going to change the way I live. And so I want to urge you now, brothers and sisters, this is God's word to us. And I'd encourage you to guard your hearts carefully. Right? Pay attention to what the Bible says. And be careful when your heart sounds like that, when it's being suspicious, when he says, oh, maybe, maybe just this little bit of God's word we don't need to listen to. Maybe we can ignore this little detail. And pay attention when your head urges you. Maybe we just need to be a bit more cynical. Right? Maybe, yes, give money, but maybe not to those people. Um, those are real emotions, those are real thoughts. But as Christians, we need to bring all of our hearts, all of our minds under the lordship of Christ. He is the lord of the first century, but he's also the lord of the 21st century. He'll be the lord of the 31st century when, when currency is energy credits or galactic currency or energon cubes or whatever. Um, God's word is living and eternal and it's for believers for all time, right? For all of eternity. So we need to do the really hard work today to understand it and figure out how it changes our lives today. So before we get into God's word, let's pray because this is hard. Uh, let's pray for your heart. Let's pray for my heart because I feel like we need, all need God's help today. Um, so if you pray with me. Father in heaven, we want to confess that our heart, we do have hard hearts. Um, we do have suspicious minds. We, uh, I know I often don't want to be taught by your word when it's difficult and when it's about things like money, which matter to me. But Father, we want to come today as, as honest believers. We want to come not just as hearers of the word, but doers also. We want to be people who follow you and obey you in everything. So Father... Would, would you send your Holy Spirit among us today and would he be at work? Would you convict us where we have um, wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes, wrong convictions, when we've been taught something different but we need to listen to you? Father, would you help us to have open ears? Would you help us to have soft hearts? Would you help us to uh, cling to your word as it is, the words coming from you, and, Father, we, we want to pray for genuine change in our own lives, in the life of our church, in the life of churches all over the world. Uh, we want to, um, yeah, pray, Lord God, would you be at work today? In Jesus' name. Amen. So to get at the timeless truths in the Bible, I want to think about principles of generosity that we see here in 2 Corinthians because uh, I, I figure if we spend most of our time understanding the principles here, it'll help us understanding the practicalities of how to live. Today I'm going to break a few rules. Um, sorry. Uh, I know that a good Christian preacher should always have three points. Today I have a few more than that. I have um, six. <laughs> sorry. Uh, as I kept thinking in 2 Corinthians, there's just more and more stuff that kept jumping out at me. I've actually culled away like about five of them. Uh, so there's only six of them now. Uh, that'll help us think carefully about money and generosity and giving. Don't worry, they'll all be quite short. This is not going to be a triple-length sermon. Um, but if it, helps you, if it helps makes you feel better, you can think of it a bit like this. Uh, there's three points, and the middle point just has six sub-points <laughs> with an introduction and a conclusion at the end. 
Um, but without further ado, um, we're going to spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians 8. It will help you to have your Bibles open there. And next week we'll be in 2 Corinthians 9. So let me quickly orient us in this book. We come into the middle of a conversation, and not just the middle of a book, and it's not just in the middle of after 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians, now there's the letter of 2 Corinthians. We come into the middle of a conversation between Paul and the Corinthian church. So what do we know? We know there's a need in the church. Elsewhere in the New Testament, they talk about a uh, famine in Jerusalem, and it might be that, or something else, but we know the sort of thing, right? There is a humanitarian need. There is a famine, there's a war, there's a bushfire. The church somewhere else is in need. And we know that there's going to be Titus and there's two other trustworthy guys. They're going to take a collection from the Greek churches to Jerusalem or wherever the need is. We also know uh, the geography of, um, of Greece in the Roman Empire. In Roman times, there were two provinces. There was Achaia um, in the south and Macedonia in the north. Uh, this is not ac historically accurate. I just got paint, Microsoft Paint and painted over the white bits. So it's not precisely historically accurate, but it's roughly right. Um, so it'd be a little bit... So he, um, he's saying the Macedonian church is up in the north. They're great. He's writing to Corinth and south. And it'd be a little bit like Paul writing to the Sydney church going, you know what? Those guys in Melbourne, they've been so generous. They're, they're really wonderful. Those, those Queenslanders, they're doing it tough, but they're giving so much for the sake of the gospel. And I think... It's supposed to fire up a little bit of our competitive spirit, a little bit of a, maybe we should be as good as them. So what do we learn from the Macedonian churches? Well, like I said, I think we can learn at least six things. How does, the Paul, how does Paul describe the generosity of the Macedonian church? Well, if you look at verse 2, he says this. In the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. I love the contrast there, right? They're going through this severe trial, and yet there's overflowing joy. There's extreme poverty, and yet they've got this rich generosity. That in itself is already challenging, but then do those words sound familiar? If you're paying attention as we read God's word, they actually should because they come up just a couple of verses later, right? Who else? Who else has riches and yet endured poverty? Who else had generosity and grace? Well, it was Jesus. Verse 9, you know the grace, and that word means generosity, an undeserved gift, grace. You know the, gift, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let me just highlight that, because it's really, it's really quite striking, right? You know, the grace of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. With the language in the passage, Paul's subtly telling us these Macedonian churches, they're being like Jesus, right? Because before we met Jesus, we were poor. We were spiritually bankrupt, if you like. But he loved us. And he went to the cross, and he died for us, so that we might become rich. So our entire Christian existence, the reason we're sitting in this church today is because of Jesus' giving sacrificial love. And so it's not a long step for Paul to go, well, Christians should give like Jesus gave. Christians should give because Jesus gave. 
right? If, you, if you've received mercy, show mercy. If you've been forgiven your debts, forgive others their debts. If you've received generosity, give generously. So here's principle number one. Giving starts with Jesus. Giving starts with Jesus. Give because Jesus gave. Principle number two, here's something else really interesting. Here is how the Macedonian churches are described. Verse five. Verse five. Um, They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. So you've got the Macedonian churches, and when they give, first and foremost, they're giving to God. Ultimately, they know it's God that they're giving to. Ultimately, they know it's God that they're serving. Now, we've seen this principle elsewhere in the Bible, right? Here's a couple other verses you may or may not have been familiar with. In Ephesians, in Ephesians, it's written, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Similar idea in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Or a bit longer, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. Um, Let me read this in full. Um, So Jesus will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, where do we see you hungry and feed you? When or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So when you give to somebody in need, a Christian, a non-Christian, a stranger, a friend, someone in prison, someone sleeping rough. For Jesus, there's a very real way in which you're not only giving just to that person, you're giving to Jesus too. So Christian, when you think about giving, don't just give because Paul tells you to. Don't just give because I tell you to. Don't give because all your friends are giving and you feel peer pressured. But also, don't just give because it's tax-deductible. Don't just give because it makes you feel good. Don't just give because it makes you feel guilty if you don't give. Give because, first and foremost, you're giving to Jesus. Give because you love Jesus, and he loved you first. Give because you're giving to Jesus. Remember how much he's done for you and go, what can you give in exchange? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? It's priceless. He can't. I owe everything to Jesus, and so what else can I give? Giving and generosity? It starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Principle two, give. giving is to the Lord as well as to people. Give first to the Lord. So quick recap, why do we give? We give because Jesus gave. We give to God first and foremost. For the next few points, I want to think about what do we give? What do we give? And principle number three, giving is not just money. Right? Because if we think about Jesus, and if we think about Jesus being rich and then becoming poor for our sakes, well, we know that's a metaphor, don't we? We're not really talking about Jesus having silver and gold, dollars and cents, and giving it all away. We know that Jesus' gift, his sacrifice, what he, the richness that he's earned for us, 
It's not financial. Right? As it says elsewhere in the scriptures, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You can't. It's priceless. Jesus' generosity goes beyond money. Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave up his privilege. And he did that to give us good news. Jesus gave us a fresh start. Jesus gave us a new hope. Jesus gave us a new life. So if giving is more than just money, what else can you give? Three quick examples. University students are often cash poor but time rich. right? So when I was at university, a bunch of people at our church volunteered a morning a week to run a creche and look after babies so that mums could study the Bible without distraction. It was a simple, practical way that they could be generous with their time. When I was at uni, a lot of people didn't have cars, but my friend Richie had a car. And he would make a point of always driving people home from things. Right? We go to a talk, he'd drive us home. We go to a party, he'd drive us home. It didn't matter if he had to drive an hour across Sydney and back, he would do it because he was generous with his time, with his petrol, with his car. One of my favourite Christians is a minister called David. He's one of the most humble and hard-working Christians I know. A number of years ago now, his dad, Alan, had serious kidney failure. Dave didn't blink an eyelid. He didn't wait for his three other siblings to jump in. He went straight to his dad and donated his kidney so his dad could live. Dave was generous and self-sacrificial. Dave loves Jesus. I'm not sure if I could do that, but I'd certainly be looking to David for inspiration if I ever needed to do the same. As we think about giving, I don't want us just to be, just to be thinking about money because that's too small a thing. Right? The Christian life is the generous life. Grace has been given to us. Giving abundantly to others, it's part of our Christian DNA. It's what we do. It's how we live. Right? Do give your money. Right? I think that's something that God asks us to do. Do give your money, but also give your time. Give your attention. Give your possessions. Give people your skills and gifts and abilities. Think about how God has blessed you and then think, well, how can I use that to bless other people? Principle three, giving is more than just money. Principle four, going hand in hand with the last is this, give what you can give. Right? Notice verse 12. Give what you can give. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Right? Give what you can give. Don't give what you don't have. So when you give, it's really important. Don't look sideways in the pew. Inevitably, to your left, to your right, there's going to be people who earn more than you. Don't look at how much they give and feel bad. But there will also be people at church, if you look to the left and look to the right, who earn less than you. Don't look at them and feel good either. Right? It's not about how much they give, it's about how much you give. And remember, your giving starts with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. You're giving to Jesus, so it's as much about what you what you're willing to sacrifice. You may recall the story of the widow who only had two small coins to give at the temple. And Jesus said about her, this poor widow, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, and she put everything, all she had to live on. Right? It's not about the quantity, it's about how much you're sacrificing. You know how much you earn. God knows how much you earn. Ultimately, how much you give, that's between you and God and your spouse if you're married. And so don't look sideways. Look at your own heart and think seriously about your giving. Right? Think seriously if you're giving enough. Think seriously about what you spend and what you can spend. Think seriously about what you spend that's unnecessary. Think seriously about what you can give and what you can go without. What sacrifices can you make 
for the sake of the gospel? What sacrifices can you make like this elderly widow who puts everything she has to live in into the plate? Maybe for you a sacrifice is simply taking a couple of hours out of your week to get your own finances in order. Do a budget. Figure out how much you're spending. I put that there because that's me. I haven't done a budget in years. Um, and maybe you can look at your budget and you figure out, well, how can I save $10 a month? And maybe I can give that to church, right? And after all, no one needs a Disney and Netflix and Net Prime TV and Stan and Binge and Foxtel Go and Apple TV all at the same time. You know, subscribe to one, cancel the others, and then when you finish watching all those shows, change around. Maybe for you, you need to think about your discretionary giving. So I like to tie the idea of my discretionary spending in my head to my discretionary giving. Do you know what I mean about discretionary? Right? So there's things that are mandatory. Right? There's things you need to buy. You need to buy bread. You need to buy milk. You need to buy rice. You need to pay for petrol. You need to pay for electricity. But then there's all the stuff you don't need, per se. Right? Very few of us are on subsistence wages. Most of us have nice things occasionally. We might go out for a meal. We might have a nice holiday. We might buy new shoes or a new toy or a new video game or a new musical equipment. I was going to say guitars, but hands isn't here. Um, Right? And if you can afford, right, if you can afford to save up money to buy something nice, or, or if you can afford to just, you know, splurge when things go on special and there's a Black Friday sale hitting your inbox every day, every hour, and you think, oh, I could probably afford that, that'd be nice, right? If I can spend $100 on a gadget that I don't, that I want, but I don't need, on a Black Friday sale, then I can probably also go, well, I can spend an extra $100 and give that to church, Right? If I can go out, afford to go out to eat once a week, what I could really do is go out fortnightly. And in the interleaving weeks, I can give that money to someone who needs it or a charity that looks after the homeless. If I can save up, or if I can save up for six months to buy a guitar, I can save up for nine months and you know, have extra money to give away when I buy that guitar. I bought nice shells in my office recently. I mean, they're, they're IKEA, but they're still nice and they're new and they're matching and they have nice glass doors on them. Of course, I did that, and then I was writing the sermon, and I was thinking hard about 2 Corinthians 8, and then I was thinking of my missionary friends who just returned to Australia for good. And all they've got is second-hand furniture and old stuff that they stashed in our garage for seven years. So I thought about my shelves, and I thought about this passage, and I thought, okay, right, God's telling me something. So I went back to Ikea, and I bought them a gift voucher. And you don't need to know how much, that's not important, but the point is actually getting them something so they can buy themselves something nice. It's theirs, that isn't second-hand, something that's fit for purpose. I'm not saying don't spend money, right? God gave you money, and part of that is for your enjoyment and pleasure, to enjoy God's good creation. But as you spend money, think also about how you can be generous with everything that God's given you. This segues to my next point, principle number five. Verse 14. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. And the goal is equality. Verse 15, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. You may remember this passage from uh, when we were looking at Exodus a month or two ago. And God is providing food, water, quail, manna in the desert. And some people are gathering a lot, some people are gathering a little. Everyone has exactly enough. Everyone has what they need. And we're reminded everything, everything, everything comes from God. Right? When you have a job, it's tempting to think the money you earn, well, that's yours. Right? I earned it. It's mine by right. 
But then we need to remember that the, the, the job that you earn the money with is the one that God providentially arranged for you to have. And, the work that, and you work the job that you have with the gifts and skills and abilities that God provided you with. The education that you received through the schooling that your parents paid for and the teachers that you had. The talents that God has granted you through your own DNA. All of that, that comes from God. So in some sense, everything I have comes from God and it's only because of God. Sometimes when Christians discuss tithing, they say things like, okay, right, so if 10%, does that mean that if I have to give 10%, 10% belongs to God, 90% belongs to me? But that's the wrong way of thinking and we need to flip it around, right? Actually, 100% of everything you earn is God's. 100% of everything you own is God's. My house is God's. My car is God's. My bed is God's. My computer, in fact, all of my computers, and I have more than I need, are God's. My dog belongs to God. My family belongs to God. Now, he's been very generous to me. And if he's been generous to me, then how can I not be generous to other people? He's given it to you here and now to shepherd. But his intention is just as he's been generous to you, you go be generous to other people. God gives you everything you need, so be generous to that. Give what God has given you. Final principle, principle six. Um, Back to verse 13. Um, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. And the goal is equality. So one of the big reasons we need to give is because the need is there. There are people who are not doing as well as we do. There are people who are not earning as much as we do. There are people who are struggling. And so if and when you know people who are going through hardship, and they will, you'll know people who are going through financial hardship. You'll know people who go through physical or emotional or personal hardship, spiritual hardship. And those of us who aren't struggling should be the ones to lift them up and supply what is lacking. See, Paul's got this view. He's looking just beyond the individual Christian. He sees a collection of Christians. He sees the church. And beyond that, he sees the churches, right? He sees the Macedonian churches and the Corinthian churches. In fact, he calls it the church because it's all one collective. He, the, Jerusalem, the, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Sydney, the church in Tanzania and Thailand and France and the small house churches meeting in China and Iran that are still part of Christ's body. He sees a global church. He sees God's church. So Paul envisages a church where the Corinthian church supplies what the Jerusalem church needs and the Macedonian church supplies what's lacking the Corinthian church. And he's seeing this world where no Christian should ever be in need. So think about where the need is. Think about missionaries who need financial support and emotional support to survive overseas. Think about the full-time ministry staff who labour tirelessly for the church. Think about the parents with kids, new kids who are struggling. Think about the elderly. Think about those going through significant illness. Right? Every year we have a little spot about the tear fund. And $50, fifty $50, $100 is a meal for us, a nice meal out maybe. It's more than that. But it makes a huge difference. And if you think about global wealth and about how rich we are, it's not much to be able to then supply the needs of somebody who lives in Indonesia or Pakistan Here's something else as well. We, um, in a very, a very real way, we need to be looking after and praying for 
um, the people, to those, of, we need to be praying for those who minister to us. Uh, in a very real way, people, if, you, if you go into full-time ministry, if you give up your job for a couple of years to go study in Bible college and study theology, then you're making a great sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. But the reason people do that is to supply a need that is lacking in the church. Something that's always lacking, which is good gospel teaching. Right? And so if we think about supplying other people's needs, then we need to make sure that we're looking after the needs of the people who serve us in ministry at this church. Right? And we are really lucky. We are really lucky to have Hans and Tim and Kate and Jean serving here at this church, looking after us, supplying the needs of the church. And I don't know if you were at the, um, at the members' meeting a few weeks ago when Kate talked about the ministries she's doing with Kids Church, and I was like, I saw all the things she's doing. I was so excited. I get really excited when I, on my phone I get... Um, I get uh, the, the messages that she sends on WhatsApp when she talks about the things that she's teaching the kids. That is really exciting. And I don't know if you see much of what Jean does. My kids go to Impact on Friday nights. They get so much out of it. They hear so much gospel every Friday night. Um, and I'm extraordinarily thankful for the work that they do and the lives of my children. Um, and I don't need to talk too much about hands, what hands and tin do, because you see it everywhere. Um, and not to put too fine a point on it, right, but it, it also not to put too small a point on it. I, 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 have, I have gone through Bible college. I have done full-time ministry for a couple of years. And ministry is really hard. Being a full-time pastor is really hard. There's always 101 things to do, and you can only ever do about 20 and you can't keep everyone happy, and yet there's always more ministry to do. It's never ending. If you made every pastoral visit, you wouldn't have time to write a decent sermon on Sunday, and then the people wouldn't be well-fed, and then somebody would complain that your preaching isn't as good as the last pastor you had, and meanwhile you're neglecting all the Bible studies you're trying to run, that you should be running, and then you've got to think strategically, because then you think, well, if I can train up some other people to make the pastoral visits and to run Bible studies then, or to preach, then more people can be doing more ministry, but then more new people start coming because, hey, more people are hearing the gospel and more things are happening and then there's new, more new people to meet and there's a never-ending cycle that ends in burnout and people like me not wanting to go into full-time ministry. And we need to love our pastors well. We need to take care of them. Criticism is really easy, but encouragement, that's hard. We need to be abundantly generous to our pastoral staff. We need to make sure they have what they need personally and practically and financially. That's, um, that's one of the reasons that I personally feel quite sad about the state of our budget. Um, like we should be easily supporting all of our staff and ministry here, and we're not quite there. And, but based on our congregation, based on who's sitting in the pew, our church budget is really not much of a stretch, and we should be pushing for growth rather than nervous about having put on two part-time staff last year. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on. Um, sorry if any of that makes you feel guilty, but I do want to strongly encourage you to sit down and think through your finances and as you do, your conscience may well be clear and go, you know what, I, I'm actually giving enough and I'm, 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 I'm fine between me and God that I've, I'm giving what I can give. But your conscience may also nudge you and go, you know what, inflation's crept up and you've been paid a little more, 
cost of living has gone up, but I haven't started giving more because I set my direct debits three years ago and now it's... Right? And in that case, I would be listening carefully to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God in Corinthians. Right? I'm not telling you how much to give, but you go back and you listen to God and read this passage and think through, what should I be giving? Generosity starts, it ends with Jesus. You need to remember that it's him you're serving. You need to remember it's him you're giving to. Remember God and remember that he's always, he's always been generous to you. He's always been gracious to you. He's always been kind. He's always given you everything you've needed. And so, in some sense, how else can we live? Let me finish by reading an old hymn, an old poem. You may know it. As I've been writing this sermon, I feel like God is leading me towards the attitude of this hymnist. Uh, And I hope he leads you in this direction too, as you can reflect on all that Jesus has done for you. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord. I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for thee. Ever, only, all for thee. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for everything that you have done for us. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were rich, you had everything, and you gave up everything for us. We want to thank you for the cross and how we miserable sinners, we who are poor, became so rich, received so much, were given so much. And Lord God, would you help us to live with that love? And would you help us to love you more and more as we remember everything that Jesus has ever done for us? And Lord God, could you help us to live the only way we ever could? Could you help us to live with gratitude and with joy? And thanksgiving that you are our Lord and our Saviour who has given everything for us. And would you help us to be, to live like Jesus lived? Would you help us to give? Would you help us to be generous? Would you help us to open up all of our lives, not just our wallets, but our whole lives to you and to your people? Would we be abundantly generous? Would we give food to the person who needs it and water to the person who needs it and clothes to the person who needs it? Would you help us as a church, to be a generous church. And would it be for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Let's stand together and sing, please. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.